through 20. Before we read, uh, let's pray together. Thank you, uh, God, for this book. Uh, Thank you for Thank you for worship. Thank you for bringing us together in, into this space where, where we can pay attention to you. And we ask, God, that you would remove anything in us that would prevent us from, from hearing what it is you'd like us to hear. Uh, Spirit, uh, do your thing and speak to us. Uh, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. Hear these words. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be, be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as a man... Su- su- Such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Do not link arms with them. Do not move forward with them. Do not walk in step with them. That doesn't mean ignore them or don't associate with them. Just don't walk in step with a four. You were once darkness, but now, oh, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit." Drink, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in all your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will go that far. Obviously, there are lots and lots and lots of things there. Lots of questions that I think that that raises, but uh, we can't get to all of it. Uh, So we're going to focus on two things. More on that in a little bit. First of all, Welcome back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's good to be back here. It's been about a month and a half uh, since we've been walking through 
Uh, we had Advent, Christmas, last week, Epiphany, and now here we are, back into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And since it's been about a month and a half since we've been here, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to remember, remind ourselves uh, where we are in this letter, what's going on, what came before it, and ha- how we find ourselves where we are. Uh, the first half of the letter, chapters 1, uh, 2, and 3, Paul goes on and on and on about our identity in Christ. He's defining our identities, and there are lots of ways in which we define our identities, right? We define our identities by, uh, by our family connections, uh, right? We're all, we're all sons and daughters, some of us are mothers and fathers, we're aunts and uncles, we're grandparents, uh, we're, uh, we're all kinds of ways. Like, I'm a vis. I know that there are, certain, there are certain expectations that come along with being a vis. I know. I'm also connected to the Hospers name, which there are certain expectations that come along with being a Hospers, right? We all have these family connections. We define our identities by them. We define our identities by all sorts of things. We define our identities by what we do for a living, by our occupation, by how we make our living, by how we spend most of our time. We define our our identities by where we go to school and what it is we are studying. There are all kinds of ways that we define our identities. We even define our identities by which sports teams we root for. Do we have any Chiefs fans in the house? Right? Yeah. There are all kinds of different ways. And Paul is saying in the first half of this book, all of, all of this letter, all of these things are good. All of those things. But, but there's like this one thing. There's this one thing that changes, transforms, molds, and shapes how we think about all of those other things that seem to be important to us. There is this one thing that changes everything, and that is our relationship with Jesus. Transforms how we think about all of those. Once we've met Jesus, then everything changes for us. We have a whole new identity. That's the first half of the book. The second half is is Paul essentially going on and on about now, in light of your connection with Jesus, in light of your new relationship, in light of your new identity in Christ, this is how you ought to live in the world. This is how you ought to organize yourselves. This is how you ought to be in relationship with one another. So that's where we find ourselves. So this is who you are. This is how you live. And now in this little portion uh, that we read just a few moments ago, it seems to me Paul says a lot in there, but it seems to me that he has two major points, two major themes or sort of ideas that he leans into. So we're going to talk about those this morning. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first theme is this theme of imitation. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Be imitators of of God. And then a little bit further down, we find it, the second one in verse 8. You probably noticed it. There's this other idea, this idea of light. He says, oh, once you were darkness. Once you were darkness, but now, now everything's changed. It's different. Now you are light. So live as children of light. So this is kind of what Paul is saying. Uh, he's leaning into these two ideas here. He says a lot in between, but he's leaning into these two ideas here of, okay, in light of your new identity now in Jesus, be imitators of God and live as children 
of the light. So let's take a look at those two ideas, shall we? One by one? Let's do it. Okay, first, there's this idea of imitation. Again, in verse 1, be imitators of God, he says. Now, the Greek word for imitators is mimetes, and it's where we get our word mimic from. Uh, do you know what this Greek word means? It means to mimic, <laughs> to imitate. Are you proud of me? I actually looked that up. To, to imitate, to copy, to act like. Paul calls the people in the Ephesian church, and by extension, us, to mimic God, to copy God, to act like God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard, ever since I've been a part of church, I've heard this, you aren't God, stop trying to play God. Like, don't think so highly of yourself. Have you heard this before? Like, be a little more humble than that. Here we have Paul saying, be imitators of God. But then I like what he connects to this. Oh, this is so good. He, he connects this really beautiful and rich idea along with being imitators of God. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. So here we have this idea, right? We have this image of a child imitating mommy and daddy as it continues to grow and develop. You get that? So good. So be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. We have this image of a child imitating mommy and daddy as they grow. Jesus said this another way. He said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I like the way Paul puts it better. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Imitate God as a child would imitate mommy and daddy as they grow. Now, as a parent, it doesn't take you very long to figure out that your children are watching you all the time. And it doesn't take you long to notice that they get pretty good at imitating you, at doing, they're learning. They're like little sponges. They're soaking it all up and they spit it back out. Now, sometimes this is a frightening, scary thing because you'll notice that they imitate and give back to you like the worst parts of you. And you're like, no, I did not want to pass that along to you. And so then you have to pause and have a conversation about these things. Like, like I know you've seen me, but let's talk about this. I don't want to be this way. I don't want you. So you have a conversation about those things. But here's the deal. Most of the time, it's like, oh, it's one of the most amazing things, especially when they're really little, like they're little infants, when they start to imitate you and mimic you as they learn and grow. I remember when Samuel was just a, a, a nine or 10-month-old little baby, and we used to, to sit on the floor on the carpet and, and play with each other. We'd sit across from each other and just play. Uh, we had this little toy box, and out of the, the sides of it, there were these shapes cut out that formed these kinds of slots, and then it came with these blocks, and if you shook them, it rattled, because that's awesome when you're nine and ten months old. But you had to look for the right shape, and you had to put it in, and it only would fit in one. And when you put it in, and it fell to the bottom of the thing, it would go do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and you would, like, celebrate your achievement. Yay! So... Uh, 
I remember playing this uh, with Samuel on the floor. We would sit across from one another, and I would put one of the shapes in, and it would fall, and I would go, yay, and then he would put one of the shapes in, and he'd finally find the right spot, and it would fall in, and I would go, yay, and then after a while, Samuel would find the right spot, he would put it in, and it would drop. Guess what he would do? Yay! Oh, it was so good. And as a dad, it would fill me with so much joy. Doesn't that sound great? In fact, would you like to see it? I brought a video with me. Let's watch this. It's so good. Yay! Right? Oh my goodness. So good, right? You're not even his parent and you're like proud of him. Like, way to go. Does it fill you with joy? Yay! Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. I wonder. I wonder if God is, is filled with joy when we learn to imitate our creator. I mean, since we've, been, since we've been created in the image of God, when we imitate God, when we mimic God, when we act like God, we're just becoming more of who we are meant to be. And when we live into that, I wonder, I wonder if God is just filled with joy. I'm betting it fills God with joy. Just as Samuel brings me joy, just as other children bring us all joy when they mimic and they learn and grow and they become more and more who they're meant to be, it, it fills us with joy. I'm betting that when we live into this, into this imitating God thing, I'm betting it just fills God's heart with joy. Imagine that. You. You. Little old you can fill the heart of God with joy. Who wouldn't want to lean into that? Who wouldn't want to, to live into that? Of course, this begs a question, doesn't it? How do we do that? How do we actually imitate God? Right? Now, this is an important question. I think it's one of the biggest important questions, because who we believe God to be then determines how we live. At least if we're trying to live into this imitate God thing. I mean, if we believe God to be an angry God somewhere up there, the big man upstairs, I don't know where upstairs is, I don't, never got that. But if we believe that God is just an, an angry God somewhere up there, upstairs, looking down on us, waiting for us to make a mess of things so that, so that he can then punish us for being terrible, is that how we want to live? Angry, vindictive, judgmental, retaliatory, violent. Is that really how we want to be in the world? If we believe God to be some, some sort of far-off deity somewhere up there in the clouds. Again, what does that even mean? Up there, sort of not really interested in the affairs of human beings and only, and only every once in a while reaching down to sort of fix people's lives who are in the right club and who pray the right things and live the right way and say the right words. Is that really 
the kind of people we want to be? Is that how we want to live our lives, far off, aloof, uninterested in the lives of those who need help? Is that, do we want to then marginalize people who aren't in the right class? Is that how we want to live? Obviously rhetorical questions there. So how do we do it? How do we imitate God? I think you know the answer. It's the Sunday school answer. Does anybody have it? Yeah. How we do it? Jesus, oh my goodness. You all knew it. I trust you. And look, it doesn't, it, it doesn't take Paul more than a half a second to get there as he's writing this letter. It doesn't take him a half a second to get there. Just look at what he says. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave up his life for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He goes straight to Jesus. He's like, imitate God, do it like this. And then he goes straight to Jesus' stunning display of love as he gave up his life on the cross as a fragrant offering. By the way, when the ancients burned sacrifices on an altar, what were they trying to do? They were trying to appease or please the gods, right? To bring God joy. So he goes straight to Jesus. He talks about love, and he goes straight to, to Jesus' stunning sacrifice, stunning display of self-giving love on the cross. And I believe, I firmly believe, that if ink and parchment didn't cost so much back then, because it did, I think Paul would have spent some time here going on and on and on. He just went to the mic drop moment in Jesus giving his life for us, but I think he would have gone on and on and on and on and on about all of the ways in which Jesus actually lived a full life of love, always sacrificing, always giving himself away, always, always, always displaying a life of love. I think Paul would have reminded them of some of the things that Jesus said, like this, I came to serve, not to be served. And then he lived his life that way, showing his followers how to do that. I think Paul would have reminded them of some other things that Jesus said, like this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, teaching his closest followers that things like anger and violence and retribution only lead to, only lead to death. I think he would have reminded them that Jesus said to his followers, forgive your brothers and sisters, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Make it, make it so big that you can't even quantify it because forgiveness is the only thing that leads to reconciliation. Forgiveness is the only thing that has the possibility of leading to new life. You see, Jesus didn't reveal God to be an angry and vengeful God, a God who's aloof and far off. Jesus revealed God as, as one who comes near, one who is available, one who always comes near, one who, who eats with sinners, dines with the marginalized, embraces those who are far off, and on the outside and forgives under the harshest of circumstances. On the cross, Jesus said, what? 
What did he say? On the cross, dying. Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of life that we are called to live. That's the kind of life that becomes a, a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God that brings God joy. Don't you think that kind of life brings God joy? Yay! Like we do it imperfectly, right? Like our children. But we're getting there. We're learning. We're growing. We're taking steps in this new life of love, giving ourselves away. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. We're not there yet. We're still growing up. But just as little children are intentional about this, because they can't help it, right? So are we. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love. It's the bottom line. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There it is. Be imitators of God. How do we do that? Like Jesus did. Living a life of love. That's the first thing. Here's the second one. It goes like this. It's this idea of light. He says, once you were darkness. You were darkness. But now, oh, now everything's changed, man. You now are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. For you were once darkness, but now, oh, now, it's all different now. It's all changed. There's something new going on here. Now, you are light, so live like it. Live as children of the light. Paul says we are light. We are light. Now this idea, I think, flows out of the first one. Imagine that. Paul's pretty smart. Because in this book, in 1 John, it says God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Right? God is light. The Bible also says that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus called his followers, which includes you and us, you and me now, us, calls us the light of the world. God is light. We are light. God is the source of light, and we are light because God's light shines so brightly. Right? We too become light. We emanate the very same light that God gives off. Our light is a derived light, like the sun and the moon, right? Maybe you heard this. I remember learning this when I was little, learning how to mimic big people. Right? Just as the moon shines at night because of the derived light from the sun, we have a light that is derived from the light of God. We 
actually shine God's light. Now, I think this image is maybe maybe as important as any other image that we can find in the Bible, this idea of light. Now think about it for a little while. Can we live without light? We can't. We cannot live without light. Like we would, we would die. Think about it. We cannot live without light. Plants need light. Why do they need light to produce oxygen? If there is no light, they don't produce oxygen. And we, well, we're finished. We can't survive. Any other animal that, that depends on oxygen will, will just not, not live. Right? But with light, we not only survive, we thrive. During the long winter months, we'll have like a week of cloudiness. And it's like, oh, and it does something to you. And then the sun comes out like this morning, and you're like, yeah, I'm alive again. What's up, sun? And we're so happy. And it feels so good because light changes everything. Light is powerful. Light is life-giving. Light is illuminating. Life, it spread. Light, it spreads. Light cannot be stopped. We only see by light. And Paul says, we are light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, which means, which means if the world is going to see, if the world is going to make any sense of life at all, if the world is going to live, we better be shining like stars. To borrow some other words from Paul, we better be shining like stars. A little over a decade ago, there were some angry fans at, at the Ford Championship, angry golf fans at the Ford Championship in Miami, Florida, when Scott Hoke refused to hit a nine-foot birdie putt on the second playoff hole. Uh, he did it because he couldn't really see. Darkness had begun to fall, and he couldn't see, he couldn't see the lay of the green. So the sudden death finished was... was postponed till the next morning where he got up and he putted and he made it and then he went on to birdie the third playoff hole and he won like a million bucks. Oh, way to go. He probably would have missed the putt had he putted the night before. You see, he had had five eye surgeries up to that point in his life and as he was looking at the putt, it looked like the ball was going to move to the left. But his caddy said, no, 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 the ball's going to move to the right. And when he got up in the morning and he looked in the light, he saw the ball was going to move to the right. Had he waited, had he gone ahead and putted, he probably would have missed it. Why? Because light changes everything. Light makes all the difference. Friends, there are a lot of people in the world living in darkness it just seems like there's a whole lot of darkness these days, doesn't it? And people are living in the dark. People are living in the dark because they haven't seen the light. Or maybe, maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's, maybe it's that the light is just too dim. And if we are shining God's light in the world, and there are still people living in darkness, 
or at least haven't seen a light bright enough in order to see, then whose responsibility is that? Think about that. If we are the light, and we're the ones shining God's light into the world, and there are still people living in darkness, whose responsibility is that? Who does, who does, that, who does that fall on? I think it might be time for the church to reclaim its identity of being light. I think it's time for us Jesus people to to live into the life-giving, illuminating presence we are called to be. Now, this isn't just so that we can like expose all the dirt and grime and things that don't belong. It's not so that we can be out there shining our light, condemning the world for all the naughtiness, slapping people's wrists. No, no, no. I think, I think it's in the sense of things like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know, the kinds of things that, that defined the life of Jesus, the kinds of things that are the fruit of the Spirit that lives within us, because those are the kinds of things that bring light to the lives of others, aren't they? Those are the kinds of things that actually have allowed our lives to flourish and will allow the lives of others to flourish. So go. Be imitators of God and his dearly loved children. You're not perfect at it. You're growing. So am I. So are we together as a community. But go. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Live a life of love. For when we imitate God, we live a life of love. We shine brightly. And when we shine our light brightly, that's when the world will just sort of light up like a star. That's what I want to see. I want to see less darkness. I want more light. How about you? Let's pray. God, thank you for this word, for these images that Paul gives us. And, and God, for, for all of us, this sort of works itself out differently in each of our lives. And so we pray, God, that, that you'd help us to ask some questions of our own selves. How is it that we lean into a life of love? How is it, recognizing that we're not perfect, that we're still growing as, as children continue to learn and grow? How is it that we live a life of love. How do we lean in to that? How do we become light to those around us? God, we, we feel like there's darkness in the world. We pray, oh God, that you would help us to be your light. Not to just be a, a condemning, judgmental sort of people and community in this world, but but one that brings love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. May that define our lives. 
so that we can shine your light in this world, so that others can begin to shine as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.